Hello and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Brianna Kerber. My friends and colleagues call me Bree. I use she, her pronouns, and I am policy communications associate here at Fresh Energy. Today, we are going to be talking about MISO, the mid-continent independent system operator which is in charge of operating our grid here in Minnesota and the Midwest. When you see its abbreviation spelled out, the name MISO looks a lot like the word MISO, as in MISO soup. But unfortunately, I can assure you we are not talking about the traditional Japanese soup today, although I kind of maybe wish we were now. Um, When MISO is written together in all caps and the conversation is about energy, it is safe to assume that we are referring to MISO, our grid operator. In this podcast, I'll be joined by Fresh Energy's Mike Showalter to discuss what's up with MISO, both here in Minnesota and beyond. MISO is a key player in helping us continue to drive decarbonization, moving electricity generation away from fossil fuels to carbon-free sources like wind and solar. And the world of MISO has many different moving parts and can sometimes feel very complex and technical. So the good news for us is that we have Mike as our fresh energy expert here today to dive into the details with us. And with that, let's begin. What's up, Mike? Oh, it's going well. How are you doing, Bree? I'm doing well as well. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned um, miso. I I find so often, you know, when I'm when I'm trying to learn, you know, look something up with having to do with miso, I'll get some weird results about the health benefits (laughs) of miso soup or so I I usually have to also include the word energy or electricity Um, (laughs) just a good tip for anyone who wants to learn more on their own include energy or electricity in your google searches (laughs) well thanks for that pro tip Mike (laughs) Um, yeah no problem (laughs) now Mike I know you and I have sat down before to talk about the grid what the grid is, why building it to be resilient is so important to our work in clean energy and climate advocacy. And I think today we're going to be touching on a lot of those same elements, but of course with a more regional specific lens. So in the interest of jumping right in for folks, what can you tell us about MISO, maybe starting with how and why it was created? Yeah, MISO... um... Well, it stands for the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, as you mentioned earlier. And um, it's really responsible for the, the wholesale electricity um, markets. It's responsible for the reliability of, of electricity in this whole grid area. And it's responsible for planning our system as a whole. And, and when I talk about the system, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're talking about not just the system we see here in Minnesota or you know, in our local communities, but the system as it extends from Manitoba to Louisiana, from, you know, from the very, very Eastern parts of Montana all the way over to, into, into the uh, main part of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really big area. And, you know, and it's not just, you know, and that's the main area that MISO is concentrated, you know, 15 states plus Manitoba, but also uh, it's connected to some of its neighbors. So what happens here can affect what happens in New York or DC and, and, you know, and likewise. Um, and so, you know, MISO really, you know, taking all that together, they're the ones who make sure that the grid as a whole is reliable, um, that it's cheap. And um, they also plan for the future because mm-hmm. the grid, as you know, and as we'll talk about more is changing drastically. Um mm-hmm. 
you know, I think the, the, the main thing about MISO, you know, you asked, I guess you asked three questions. Um, what is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Starting off strong. <laughs> How right? does it work and why? <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, MISO is, is something called a regional and transmission organization. And okay. they, those, these are organizations that are um, tasked by FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And, and before I go further, I just want to say there are going to be a lot of acronyms today. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> to um, spell them out, but that is one, um, <laughs> one thing in the energy world or any quasi-governmental thing, a lot of acronyms. Um, so FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, they regulate um, MISO and similar RTOs, regional transmission organizations, um, okay. to make sure that, you know, that, that main, first and foremost, that the system is reliable, that we don't have a crash like we had in the Northeast around, I think, 2001 or two, roughly or three, I don't remember exactly. Um, you know, there, there's been some famous blackouts over the years mm -hmm. or like what happened with, well, that's a different thing, like ERCOT, who's not regulated by FERC. Um, <laughs> you know, they had their problem last, last year. But um, mm. so, so FERC is really has serious regulations to make sure that you know, the markets operate smoothly and efficiently, bringing affordable mm -hmm. prices to consumers at the end, like, like you and I uh, and our listeners. And then they're also making sure that reliability is there um, and they're responsible for system planning. Um, okay. And another thing about reliability is there's another entity, because we like to make things confusing, called NERC. Um, <laughs> FERC and NERC, huh? <laughs> yeah, FERC, FERC and NERC. Okay. Um, because why not? No, NERC is the North American Electricity Reliability Corporation. And okay. FERC has tasked NERC with, <laughs> with setting standards, uh, reliability standards um, okay. to make sure, you know, and, and all the RTOs, all the utilities um, who are in the wholesale markets, really all the, are on the grid um, must must abide by these these reliability standards. And, and FERC actually... Um, so NERC sets the standards, FERC approves them, and FERC makes sure makes sure that the that the RTOs like MISO go ahead and follow that. So yeah, okay. it, it can be a little confusing. Um, yeah, and lots we're of try to, lots of different moving parts, but yeah, and, and, and we'll try to we'll try to make this simple today, um, as simple as we can. So you know, you know, for our purposes, well, NERC does reliability, and that's important for things like solar and wind and how they interconnect with the rest of the grid. And there are a lot of, if you listen to our last podcast on this, we talked a little bit about some of those um, interesting issues with electricity related to that. NERC makes sure, NERC sets standards to make sure that it all works. But FERC is really who sets policy that's going to help us decarbonize the grid going forward. Mm. So that's really mm -hmm. where we spend our, our attention, because um, that's really where changes are going to happen. Um, is with FERC. And so, you know, that's what we'll focus on. Um, thing with FERC is, I mean, the thing with MISO, as opposed to your local utility, is um, MISO is, is really involved with wholesale, wholesale um, markets for electricity. And mm -hmm. it's important to distinct, distinguish wholesale from intrastate, intra, not inter, intrastate. Um, and that's really why FERC has 
primary jurisdiction or has sole jurisdiction over MISO is because of that interstate aspect. And really, I think a lot of your listeners have heard of the Dormant Commerce Clause, um, which basically says it's part of the US Constitution article or section one article something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that basically says Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian uh, tribes. Okay. And, and so because electricity, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, it doesn't, you can't control where it's going to go. So even if you, know, you and I were in Minnesota, and if I were mm-hmm. to somehow produce electricity and 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 we were going to, I was going to contract to deliver it to you, um, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, we can't actually control that flow. What I what I um, make here could very well end up in Wisconsin or Iowa or some other some other mm-hmm. state, and that's just the nature of electricity as a whole. And so because of that, you know, in these wholesale markets, um, you know, FERC is involved. Um, and there's a whole bunch of case law that gets in the nuances, all of this. We're going to skip that. The main thing that's <laughs> safe to say is, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, there, there's, there, you know, there are a whole lot of state laws that affect our, our utilities yeah. and everything like that. But when it comes to MISO, we're thinking about federal regulation. Um, right. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, maybe, I know we've just talked through a bunch of acronyms and kind of process and definitions, but is maybe there an example that you can give us to sort of illustrate how these different entities work together just so that we can have that as a, as a basis moving forward? Yeah. Th- thank you, Bree. That's a, that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, one example is transmission planning and, okay. and so that's like your big, your big towers, your big, um, high voltage power lines. Um, you know, MISO is going to plan what we're building where it's going to go, who's going to pay for it, and how it'll be paid for. So all of that, and all of that is interstate or interstate issues. So we might as well go ahead and and approve this. There'll be some, we'll talk about this a little more later, but there'll be some buy-in from the states as well. Mm -hmm. And FERC will eventually approve something. Um, And then, but then, then it's up to the states to take it from there. So after MISO determines what to build, how, and who pays for it, the states will then determine whether it gets built at all. Um, you know, this is because of things like siting and permits, um, all sorts of, you know, local issues and local concerns. And, and, and MISO does its best to take, to think about these things ahead of time. And we do our best as, as stakeholders within MISO to help MISO anticipate some of these things ahead of time. Um, and, and the States also may tell your local utility how they can include that transmission cost. Cause remember I said MISO determines who pays for it. So they may determine that your local utility pays for part of it, but they don't tell that utility how it should collect that money. And so the states are often involved through public utilities commissions to, to determine how, how, how that money can then be taken from, well, not taken, but collected right. <laughs> from, from its customers. And, and usually that's in the form of a rider, but sometimes that can be in something um, which many listeners probably know called a rate base. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's all state by state and commission by commission. Well, that makes sense. Now, Mike, you mentioned this term earlier, and I am hoping you're going to jump into some more context for those of us who don't have an energy background like me. I only kind of jumped into the energy space about a year ago. So 
you mentioned wholesale energy market, and I'm really hoping you could give us some more detail on what exactly that is and how it works. Yeah, I guess one thing to think about is what it's not. It's not the retail energy market. So it's not you and I paying our bill. It's not okay. um, maybe the local library. Um, it's people paying for really big chunks of power. Um, Got it. And so your utility often will um, buy energy or can buy energy on the wholesale market and then resell it to you um, at rates approved by the commission. But at a, um, you know, but from our, for our, our purpose here with MISO, uh, a good way to think about the wholesale energy market is kind of, it's just a really active market. Think of like a bazaar, you know, where there are all these people out, you know, and there's, I don't know, think of like the old Indiana Jones movies uh, or something. <laughs> or something. Um, but instead of chickens and rugs and, you know, coffee or whatever, it's, it's energy. And there's all sorts of mm. types of energy, which is what's really interesting here. Um, it's not, you know, electricity isn't all the same because, well, I don't want to get too much into the details here, but the wholesale energy market for MISO, really, there are two main or two time frame, time frames that are helpful to think about for the markets. You have the day ahead and the real time. And um, the day ahead market is essentially MISO will, will go ahead and predict what the demand will be the next day. And they're using maybe weather patterns as a key thing. So if it's really hot out or really cold out, that's going to affect the type of demand that's on the load. Or it may be, um, you know, it's a weekday versus a weekend or different patterns. And so, and also just historically, there's, you know, there's certain patterns to the electricity um, load or, you know, demand each day that are, that are pretty consistent. Um, and so, each day, the MISO will go ahead and put out its demand, predicted demand curve, essentially, um, saying this is what we think the electricity demand is going to be the next day. And then what they do is they ask power producers, generators, so you're from any kind of power plant who is active on the wholesale market to go ahead and put a bid in to say, okay, yeah, I can supply so much power at this particular time in a day. Um, and so one thing I didn't say is that they might still ask for bids for every hour of the next day. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And so maybe an example is, is a good way to think about this. Um, so let's just say my, and this is totally not necessarily representative of actual numbers, but let's just say my, predicts we need 50 megawatts during a certain hour. Um, and just one thing about megawatts, um, a typical house will use, Trying to think about how to say this. So typical, well, okay, this is going to get confusing. So I'm going to stop because there's <laughs> megawatts and there's megawatt hours, it's kilowatts, yeah. it's kilowatt hours. Um, real quick, a distinction is, is it's kind of like you have a megawatt is the power that a, that a um, power plant can produce. A megawatt hour is a power plant producing one megawatt consistently for an mm. hour. So you can, so you can break it down to a megawatt minute, a megawatt day, a megawatt year. It's, the consistent pr production of that amount of power over that given time. Um, so MISO predicts it needs 50 megawatts during a certain hour. So they need a mm -hmm. megawatt hour. Um, and, and they put out, you know, they say to, to the generators, go, go ahead, tell us what you can produce, you know, how much. 
um, and at what price? Those are the, the two main mm -hmm. items. There's there's a lot more to this, but I'm I'm gonna I'm trying to keep things a little simple here. Yeah. Um. So let's just say we get four bids. Um, you know, generator A. Let's just say, well, we'll go ahead and bid in 20 megawatts at $10 a megawatt hour. So they're basically saying we can provide you 20 megawatts for the hour, and it'll and we only need we only will we can do it for $10. MISO says that's great. Um, we'll take it, but we still need 30 more megawatts. And so the way it really works is everyone puts their bid in at the same time. So let's just to keep it simple, everyone's gonna bid in 20 megawatts. You know, generator A says we can do it for $10. Um, generator B says we can do it for $50, C says $80, and D says, let's make it interesting, D says $30, so a little bit less than that last C. Um, and so what will happen is, is MISO will take those bids and line them up in a row from the cheapest bid to the most expensive bid. And okay. they'll, they'll basically, and they'll basically take, um, They'll take those th th those bids until they've met their 50, 50 megawatts that they need. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, you know, I mentioned there was A saying we can do 20 megawatts. MISO still needs 30. So then they look at the next next cheapest bid, which in this case was uh, D, who said they can do 20 megawatts at 30, $30 a megawatt right. hour. So now MISO's got 40 megawatts um, of its 50 that it needs. And so the next bid is actually, the next cheapest bid is actually bid B but they bid 20 megawatts, MISO only needs 10. And so MISO will actually only take 10 and they'll take it at that $50 a megawatt hour um, price that B said. And the interesting thing here is um, MISO doesn't pay each generator the amount it bid. It, it pays what it's called the marginal price. So the price of the last unit offered in the market or the last unit offered in the, on, the, on the supply curve here. Okay. And so because generator B bid the, bid the last megawatt at 50 megawatt, $50 a megawatt hour, generators A and D who bid for lower price will also get that $50 a megawatt hour. And so okay. you can see now how this creates a really strong incentive to come out with really inexpensive, right. really, really efficient and cheap energy resources. Because if you can produce power for $10 a megawatt hour, um, and the price is at 50, you're going to make $40 a megawatt hour, um, which, is, which, is, which is good for us. It's also good for renewables because renewables are some of the cheapest sources around. Um, okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, when I mentioned there was, there was a fourth bid, you know, they bid at $80 a <laughs> megawatt hour, yeah. and MISA didn't need them. So tough luck. They don't get to produce energy that hour, they don't make any money. Um, they're probably losing money because of just, you know, costs with having any mm -hmm. kind of business. Um, and so that's also going to work the other way to, to get some of these less efficient, um, more, more fuel dependent resources offline as well. Um, so, you know, in, in this example, you know, the, the cheapest resources may have been wind or solar, you know, if they okay. were on the wholesale market and, um, and the most expensive, maybe it was a coal plant, which is generally has, you know, higher fuel costs, higher operating costs. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's dependent on where you are and, and who the players right. are. Um, so this is great. Wind and solar, very profitable. Um, you know, 
if you there's there's more to it i i'm i'm biting my tongue because there's there's other <laughs> challenges for wind and solar that we're not gonna get into right now of um, course yeah yeah so we talked about day ahead is that what it's called i think I'm yes the day ahead yes market. day ahead but you mentioned the other one is real time right so what's what's the difference between those two how does how do those work together or maybe are they just completely separate yeah, yeah, they no no, they're they definitely work together cuz so Okay. The day ahead is, you know, it's a conservative prediction by MISO, but it's not going to be accurate. You know, no one can predict the future. And <laughs> so MISO relies on a real-time real it's called a real-time market. Technically, it's not quite real-time. Okay. Um, but what it what it but like the day ahead market, um, power producers, generators will will go ahead and put in bids, but they'll put in bids up to a half hour ahead of the hour or ahead of okay. the um, half hour ahead of the moment in which MISO needs its energy. And, and MISO's mm-hmm. in the, the real-time market, actually, the, the bidding, not the bidding, but the, the time scale of that market, instead of being a day ahead or hour to hour, like the day ahead, it's every five minutes. And so MISO will take its bids and then in, in real time, the spot market, they'll figure out what they need. Um, and go ahead and, and, and make those adjustments. So that way it kind of smooths out the curve a little bit and gets us closer to, um, you know, it, it helps balance out that power. You know, as I mentioned, you know, the, this, this is kind of where it ties in energy markets and reliability. Markets are a means to reliability. They're, they're helping mm-hmm. MISO make sure that energy and um, that supply and demand are meeting each other. Because, you know, that, that quirky thing about our electricity and electricity is, you know, our, our grid is that, supply must equal demand at all mm-hmm. times. It's not like gas or, or um, you know, other forms, other commodities where we can store things. We, we're not good yet at storing energy or electricity. And so because of this, um, the amount produced must equal the amount consumed at all times. You know, granted there's a little bit of room here for, for storage, but it's a, it's a rounding error still. So MISO um, can't rely on that yet. Right. Gotcha. So I know, Mike, that you mentioned that prices in these markets will fluctuate from place to place. And I think mm-hmm. you talked about that a little bit, but how, how does, how does MISO kind of deal with that? I guess, how do they anticipate or plan for that aspect of things? Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it, you, I think you're referring to, um, you know, why, why can electricity be one price here and another price there, right. Um, at the same time, within MISO, um, you know, electricity does does move at the speed of light, and I think you're getting into what's called. This is this is going to get this can get a little wonky, so I'll, okay. I'll try to keep it simple. But um, it's something called locational marginal pricing. Okay. Um, and this is really this gets into transmission, and this gets into where plan planning is so important, mm. um, because there transmission lines can only hold so much power at a time, for example. And, you know, and so if there is uh, a constraint somewhere in the transmission lines that may impact how much electricity is able to get somewhere. So it may bottle up electricity in one place, therefore making it cheaper because you have maybe more supply than you need. Mm-hmm. And another place, um, you know, there could be maybe not as much because you said you're relying on that transmission to get you there, but you don't have it. Um, this is actually a challenge that a lot of renewable um, power plants have to deal with, especially wind, is you know 
they're, they're able to make a lot of energy, a lot of electricity, very cheap, but sometimes they don't always have the infrastructure they need to get the wind to load to cities. Mm. Um, and because of that, um, you'll, you'll sometimes you'll, if you're out in the, you know, in, say in Minnesota, if you're out in the, in the Southwest part of Minnesota, you might see wind turbines not spinning. That's probably mm. because there's a transmission constraint somewhere and the locational marginal price there will be, um, you know, will be, will be really cheap to kind of basically say, don't, don't spin. Um, you know, I, okay. I, I guess to simple it up, one way to think about it is, is kind of like a, uh, like a traffic jam, you know, if a highway is like, I think, yeah, you were, you know, in St. Paul today, anyone who's in St. Yeah. Paul will know that, <laughs> that there's a lot of construction going on and yes. uh, they've writing down downtown St. Paul, this goes from like five lanes to two. Yeah. Um, and so it might be faster to go around to skip the highway and go on a different road to get to where mm. you're going. Um, but it's going to cost you maybe more gas to get there. Mm. Uh, and more time to get there. So it might be a more expensive trip as a result. Um, you know, locational marginal price is kind of a similar concept. I, um, okay. Anyway, yeah. I, th- that may be a little confusing and, and, you know, if, if, you know, maybe one day we can talk more about it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> so are there any other things that we need to think about when it comes to some of these markets? Like I know you talked about reliability quite a bit, but capacity, um, we talked about planning, um, maybe anything else we should talk about when it comes to policy and whether MISO has a role in, in, you know, pushing policy forward. Yeah. Um, and I think this does get to a question we're going to deal with a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, my, I guess the main takeaway is that MISO is supposed to be policy neutral. Okay. And so they'll, they'll look at a lot at what states, maybe the state policies are on a certain matter, or even what federal policy is and try to react to that. But they're, they're not trying to, to set policy or tell states right. or, or certainly not the federal government what to do. Right. Um, you know, in terms of planning, it, you know, it gets tricky because, you know, I mentioned all that wind not being able to get to, to load. You know, part of that is planning for the future, figuring out where some of those cheap resources will be and building the transmission we need in order to, to get that energy over, you know, to, to places, you know, where it'll be used. And, and, and one might ask, well, why don't we just build wind and solar in the cities um, or in places near the cities or in places where, where it's going to be used so we don't have to worry as much about transmission. Um, and, you know, that is an option, but it's a, it's a much more expensive option um, in part because the the best solar or wind resources aren't necessarily where the most electricity is needed. Um, mm. And what, what can happen is you actually, you know, I haven't looked into this. This is actually a question I'm really curious about. And maybe, maybe a listener knows this answer. And if you do, please, <laughs> please email us. <laughs> but, um, well, so what can happen is if, if you try to build everything local, really close to where it's being used, you may end up building, or not may, you will end up building many, many more wind and solar resources. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder what kind of land use um, area that would take up versus having your wind and solar in places where it's very efficient to get a lot, you know, a lot of energy, um, but not needing as much and, and then having it transmit over via, via um, power lines. Um, hmm. Let me know if that made sense to you. If not, I can. 
Yeah, I think. And if if listeners know the answer for sure, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the question, yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely yeah. let us know. Um. So okay. So obviously, MISO is is handling a lot of money on a daily basis, but it sounds like they don't necessarily hold on to that. Can you can you maybe yeah. delve a little deeper into that? Yeah, you're right. It's MISO is a nonprofit. Um, okay. They own no transmission or generation assets. The, the really the only assets they have are the computers they use to to manage the grid and make sure everything gets you know sent from A to B reliably. Mm. Um, you know, really they're a clearinghouse. Okay. MISO clears you know all these energy transactions. You know, like the day ahead, the real time, and some some other uh, markets called ancillary markets. Um, okay. Or, or, it, 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 they they clear those, um, okay. so they're handling a lot of money, or they may be directing a lot of money, um, but they're not earning. Well, they're not they're not earning a profit. Gotcha. Um, you know, the only money they really get is there's a, there's a, you know, there's a small membership fee. They'll take maybe an administrative fee off of some of the load. I think last I looked at it was about forty five cents a megawatt hour in twenty twenty. So if you go back to our example, where. Um, mm-hmm. The market cleared at fifty dollars a megawatt hour. Uh, MISO would take forty-five cents um, in that example, just okay. just for their administrative, their costs of of providing a service. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. Is there a reason for that? Well, yeah. Part of it is there's a lot of history um, there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a reason. So it used to be that. It, it, Part of it is about aligning incentives. Um, you know, FERC, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they created our, the authority for RTOs and ISOs, so regional transmission organizations or independent system operators. Yes. Really, they're the same thing. And, and sorry this for this an aside, but MISO, the, the mid-continent independent system operator, is actually the first... RTO, regional <laughs> transmission oh. wow. organization, and not an ISO, um, even though they're called MISO, and even though independent system operator ISO is in the name of mid-continent independent system operator. Yeah, it's really confusing. But anyway. They, so functionally, they are the same But thing. functionally, they're the same. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry for that aside there. Um, <laughs> but um the whole idea was to facilitate a more competitive wholesale transmission market. You know, back okay. in the day, what, it, what, what would happen is you'd have different utilities owning their own assets, their own transmission assets, their own generation assets. And, you know, let's just say there was a utility in North Dakota um, that had a whole bunch of excess electricity to sell. Minnesota didn't need any, but Wisconsin did. Um, well, the utility in Minnesota, this is not now, this is back in the day, um, might say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah but we're going to charge you um, a certain rate to transmit that electricity across our lines. And so, you know, North Dakota would, would then sell its electricity to Wisconsin, but Minnesota would take a cut and, you know, let, and maybe, maybe it wasn't even Wisconsin. Maybe it was, maybe it's Indiana. Let's just go further. And so North Dakota would sell to Indiana, Minnesota would take a cut. Wisconsin would say, okay, we'll take a cut. And Illinois would say, okay, we'll take a cut. Um, and this is called pancaking. Um, okay. Basically every, every utility, you know, where this electricity would trans, where the, where the contract, at least for electricity, would transmit, would um, every utility would add a little fee on top of it. And it got really expensive. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm sure. And so 
FERC eliminated what's called you know rate pancaking, rate pancaking. They eliminated this, um, and it was it was you know it was useful for the utilities because you know especially the ones that um, you know maybe have had cheaper resources. They wanted to, you know they wanted to better take advantage of that and not lose profits some of their profits because of all this rate pancaking. Um, Okay. But the other thing that they had to do is these utilities, they had to go ahead and return their operations over to MISO. And, and that also does greater reliability. I mean, mm. end of the day, it really mm. comes down to, it, it makes economic sense for utilities to do this. Um, you know, if they can get prices lower for their consumers, um, then consumer, you know, consumers may end up using more electricity, which would mean, you know, more product to sell by the, by the uh, utilities. Um, and which can then, you know, through all your regulated rates at the state political public utilities commissions could then end up meaning more money to take in at the end of the day. Um, it gotcha. was also part of, yeah. So that, that's, that's um, one aspect of it. Okay. Um, so was MISO, has MISO always had the territory that it's had or since we're talking about history, I'm curious, yeah. has it expanded over time or because I know it's such a, it's a massive territory. It is. It is. Yeah. And MISO originally was the Midwest independent system operator and they were, so if you, they were basically, let me just kind of loosely, it was North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan, loosely, a little bit of overlap. Um, And that's because the members of MISO are actually not the States I listed, but they're utilities who happen to be in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, so there are a few utilities in Missouri, for example, who, um, are members of MISO. There are a few utilities in Montana who are members of MISO. Um, but those, you know, the States I mentioned though, the vast majority of, of utilities in there are, are members of MISO. Um, and this is actually something too, it's, it's not a state directive. It's, it's a utility by utility. It's a voluntary um, option for, for utilities to go ahead and join this clearinghouse for the benefits of a clearinghouse. Um, but yeah, MISO was originally those states. And in about 2013, uh, you know, r- roughly, um, th- some, some utilities in the South and Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and the very Eastern end of Texas joined. Um, and this was mostly via uh, a company called Entergy, um, okay. and there was, yeah, and that was, it was kind of a, uh, I don't know how much I want to get into, to Entergy's role in MISO. Um, but they, maybe a, a complex, it, they, the circumstances around which they joined are complex. Is yeah, that they as are, simple as we can keep it? <laughs> well, the, the department of U S department of justice basically told Entergy, you need to join an RTO because you've been, you've been. Um, using way too many anti-competitive practices. Mm-hmm. And okay. Energy actually had been in long talks with another RTO, um, one called the Southwest Power Pool. And this is the, the, the other major RTO in, the, in, the, in our region, but they're just to the west of us. And mm-hmm. they had been in talks with the Southwest Power Pool or SPP for short. Um, and, and it makes sense because there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, transmission uh, capacity between SPP and the energy territories. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, for reasons I, I don't, 
need to get into energy decided to go with MISO instead. And, um, and, 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 yeah. And part of that is part of that. Yeah. Anyway, there's, I don't want to get into that today, but yeah. It's a complicated backstory, (laughs) but thank you for (laughs) diving in a little bit for us. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just say that SPP made more sense. Um, and by joining MISO, Entergy was able to shield itself from competition, um, because of the the lack of connection between the energy territories and MISO North or MISO Central, um, the rest of it. And that's actually an interesting thing that's going on today for anyone who might be looking at MISO News. And and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about some of the things that MISO is doing. Awesome. Well, well, thanks for talking through some of the history with us, Mike. Now I kind of want to shift to maybe talk a bit more about strategy. And I know, I think you've kind of been threading the reasons why we would want to be part of a collective like MISO through our conversation so far, but obviously there's reasons why Minnesota utilities in particular decided to join MISO if we're, if we're looking at our specific uh, circumstances and there's a reason or reasons why it's a huge priority to fresh energy as a whole, um, specifically to your team, our clean electricity team, because at fresh energy, as we all know, or most of us know, a major part of our work is pushing for more renewables. But we recognize that if we're going to be doing that, pushing for more renewables, we also have to advocate for better access to them, for reliability, all these things that you've kind of mentioned already um, in the MISO realm. So maybe you can flesh it out a bit more. What what is the strategy, the why behind being part of MISO? Um, you know, well, I guess, you know, from our perspective as, as Fresh Energy, you know, we, we won't really... We, we're trying to make sure Minnesota is 100% renewable, um, mm-hmm. and it's and it's electricity, um, and it's energy. You know, it's gas as well. Um, and, you know, and we want to see that for the greater region too. And 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 so the reason MISO is so important is because, you know, as we talked about in our last podcast together, uh, electricity doesn't really know state borders. It mm. you know we're if there's a big coal power plant in North Dakota or you know, somewhere else, our electricity will be, will be, um, will come from that power plant. We, d- we really just don't have a choice from that. We can't, we can't uh, segregate it or, you know, market, market off. Um, and so in order for us to really meet our hundred percent renewable energy goals here, uh, we need our neighbors to do it too. Mm. And in order for that to happen, we really need MISO to be thinking ahead, planning ahead and, and responding to not only, I think Minnesota is a leader in terms of, of trying to push, push decarbonization, but also responding to other states' um, desires to push decarbonization and federal push to push decarbonization. And, and I think most importantly, consumer pushes mm-hmm. for decarbonization. Um, and so, you know, if we just focus on the PUC here in Minnesota or what's going on in the state, uh, you know, we'll, we'll def, def, definitely huge strides to getting us there, but we also need to look at MISO, what MISO is doing regionally, because, because they affect, you know, they write the rules of, you know, of the wholesale energy markets. And if the rules of the wholesale energy markets um, make it more difficult for carbon-free energy to, to, to get to our homes, then, you know, that's a problem. And so that's, that's one of the reasons that we're there. Um, and you know, and and it's, and if we're not there, you know, we're, we're then then you've got 
other interests, people who maybe maybe want to see gas as or or coal um, producing power for much much longer than we can afford. Mm -hmm. And so we're really trying to help MISO by giving a different perspective. We work with other NGOs, other nonprofit organizations. We work with some companies as well um, to to try to you know help MISO see why it's a good idea to you know build more transmission in order to get as an example build more transmission so we can get more renewable energy online or or add certain market mechanisms that allow for some really interesting and, and innovative um uh energy products to hit the market um something else we can talk about a little more later cool um and 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 you know and for miso's credit um they they get it too. They they get that the future is a decarbonized future. Um, mm. And you know, working with their staff, you know, they're you can tell that that that's that's where they're headed too. I think our our goal is to help them is to help MISO get there faster than it might otherwise yeah. would. I love that. So relatedly, I feel like you've already touched on some of these points, but I want to give you a chance to draw anything out more if you'd like, in terms of the utility perspective for joining. I know. We talked a little bit about entities joining and how that was complex, but but what about others? What are the main drivers for other utilities wanting to join a, a, a group, a body like this? Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you asked. I don't think I was quite clear <laughs> when I mentioned <laughs> this before anyway, so if anyone was confused by that, I apologize. Um, I mean, their business, money rules, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't mean that as like a... Um, as a, as a cynical thing, you know, it's just, this is reality. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, that's, you know, that, that can be good money. Like we saw in our example, you know, it's cheaper to do wind than it is to do coal, you know, the, the electricity is cheaper. So there's an incentive to build more wind and less coal. So, so that's good. Um, but money also rules and <laughs> rules in other ways as well. I think, you know, um, you know, as I mentioned with the rate pancaking, it's, you know, ends up being a lot cheaper to buy energy on the wholesale clearinghouse type market than it is to do these, you know, one-off contracts. Also with the wholesale markets, you have a lot more transparency into, you mm-hmm. know, costs. So you're going to get a lower price that way as, you know, competing on a big, huge market, as opposed to, you know, negotiations or whatnot, or, you know, smaller markets where you have less information, less transparency. Um, so it's really, it comes down to getting cheaper electricity. Um, it's also easier, you know, for, in Minnesota and in most other states in MISO are populated by a lot of what they call vertically integrated utilities. These are utilities that own the distribution network. They own the, tra- um, they, they own the transmission network. They own the, op- the generators and they also are the, the bill, you know, billing for consumers. Um, okay. And if they have excess energy, they want to sell it. Um, but also, so they may have excess wind, for example, especially if it's particularly windy, and they may want to sell it to another um, another utility that maybe doesn't have as much, and so this helps them do that too. And then I, I guess the last thing is, you know, FERC added a little incentive for utilities to join an RTO like MISO, and that's basically, um, you know, within the tariffs that that they submit to FERC. Tariff is basically like, you know, the rules of how they you know operate and charge people. Mm-hmm. FERC, FERC has allowed them to earn an extra half percent our return on investment on their rates. Okay. Um, so that's like a nice little, little, little incentive there. And the whole idea is, is that's taking on the justification for that is that utilities are 
are taken on a risk by entrusting their assets to MISO. Because I think, I think the big thing to remember here is that when a utility joins MISO, they are, they are basically rel relinquishing control of, of their assets to MISO and entrusting MISO to, to you know, instruct these assets when and how to run. Gotcha. Um, cool. I guess, you know, it's not all money. You know, it's also reliability, and you mm. know, that, I guess, I guess you could say that maybe that's just providing good customer service. Um, but reliability is keeping the lights on, and mm. um, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, this is you know, this is where scale really helps. I like to think of penguins in the cold or or zebras in Africa. You know, you, just, you ever <laughs> see those documentaries where you have a whole bunch of penguins in Antarctica and they're all huddled together. <laughs> You know, so that, so if you're on the outside, you're taking the brunt, but then you kind of shuffle up and move inside where you can warm up again. Mm -hmm. um, it's power in numbers. And yeah. you know, the more the more people you have, the more players you have, the more reliable a system you have, um, and the better, easier it is for all of you to, to you know, go through, go through life comfortably like the penguins. Um, mm. <laughs> so maybe that's an odd, odd thing. Um, I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh no, it, it, and to that extent, maybe explain a little better. Um, you know, related to that is like geographical diversity. So, uh, mm. you know, let's just take. You know, I mentioned it's a really big footprint. You've got North Dakota down to Louisiana. Well, you know, yeah. the weather is quite different. So yeah. it might be might be really windy in North Dakota, and there might be rain down in Louisiana. You know, that that's a possibility then for North Dakota to supply wind energy to Louisiana, you know, through the MISO's transmission system, um, vice versa. It could be, you know, it could be a dead still day up here and really sunny down South. Mm. Um, or maybe there's mm -hmm. a lot of water and, and hydro or whatnot. You know, so there's, because of that geographic diversity, um, and because so much of renewable energy relies on, on mother nature, on, you know, on weather by expanding that geographic scope, you're able to take advantage of, you know, where the weather is more conducive to renewable energy on a larger, larger basis. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for expanding on that utility perspective. Um, now, I think you mentioned this earlier, and if not, I know I've definitely heard it in fresh energy circles, but would love to hear more about it. Um, we, I believe, are understood as a stakeholder in the MISO space. So could you talk a bit about what exactly a stakeholder is as well as where fresh energy fits into that network of stakeholders? Yeah, absolutely. Um, stakeholder, well, there's there's a lowercase stakeholder and then there's the uppercase stakeholder. Um, really anybody can be a stakeholder. Um, okay. But, and that's a lowercase stakeholder. And so if, you know, if you're really interested in attending MISO meetings and, and maybe even you know, commenting you know, either, you know, you know, commenting in these meetings by speaking up, you can do that. You can go into MISO, um, check out their calendar and, and join a meeting. And, you know, as long as you say who you are, what you're, what you're, what you're, um, you know, who you represent, maybe that's just you, um, you can chime in. So, you know, if, if there's anyone who's listening, who's, uh, you know, happens to be, uh, you know, a closet power market expert uh, or economist or, or, you know, go ahead and jump on in, um, you know, learn from the meetings and, and chime in when you feel like you've got something worth, worth to say. Um, and so that, that's cool. They're open to everybody. There's a lot of transparency involved. Um, mm -hmm. But a capital S stakeholder really is anyone who's, who's also a voting member. And to be a voting member, okay. there's a membership 
So maybe you're a utility. Um, you're going to pay your maybe your utility, or maybe you're an independent power producer. So that would be like a, a generator who just owns generation assets. Maybe you're someone who develops transmission assets. Maybe you're um, a broker in the in these power markets, real time and, and day ahead energy markets. Um, maybe you're an environmental or or renewable energy organization like us, and so. Mm-hmm you can apply to become a member of one of these different sectors. And we can get into that a little bit later um, or we can get into that now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you can apply to be one of these sectors and you know, within each sector, there's a little bit of coordination because there are sector representatives and things like that. But, but we at Fresh Energy, we're a member of the, what's, what's formally called the environmental sector. Um, okay. But really, I, I like to think of it more as the clean energy sector or the clean energy advocacy sector. Um, and, you know, and, that, and there's at Fresh Energy, we work with a lot of other other organizations within that sector as well. So, you know, when we're working within MISO, we're not working alone. We're, we, we're, we team up with, um, you know, a whole bunch of organizations. I can, I guess I can name a few. Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, here in Minnesota, Clean Grid Alliance, um, formerly known as Wind on the Wires, they, they're, they're very active. Um, and another one in, uh, well, and then they've got some other ones like 350 New Orleans, who's a, a chapter of the 350 organization as a whole. There's the Natural Resources Defense Council, mm-hmm. um, Southern Renewable Energy Association, who's actually really, does a lot of really good work in the South. Um, the, uh, the Sustainable FERC project. And then I guess the last one I'll mention is Union of Concerned Scientists. So we do a lot of work together um, really to kind of, you know, my, my, in my so stakeholder process, there's a lot of opportunity for, um, you know, supplying formal comments or even informal comments um, and ask questions. And MISO is very patient with everybody. Um, but we're not the only, you know, we're not the only sector. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, and I guess I could just go through real quick, you know, who those might be. So I mentioned, you know, transmission owners, those are your big utilities, generally your for-profit trend utilities. So here in Minnesota, we've got Excel, Minnesota Power, Otter Tail Power. These are your vertically integrated utilities that both bill us at home as customers. But they also own a lot of generation assets and they own the wires that bring power from generation to us at home. Mm-hmm. You know, Energy, who I mentioned before in the South, they're also a transmission owner or because we like acronyms, a, a TO for short. Um, <laughs> and there are other utilities too. You know, we have, there are also um, nonprofit utilities out there, co-ops, munis, um, you know, like, like cities, like the city of Rochester, for example, down in, mm. down in Southern Minnesota is, is, you know, is a municipal uh, utility. Um, and they're really generally, you know, think of like your co-op grocery store or, you know, they or your, or your um, credit union, you know, they, they, they operate on be you know really with the, their customers' best interests first and foremost, as opposed to you know these vertically integrated utilities are also called investor-owned utilities. Um, so the investor-owned mm-hmm. utility will will work for shareholder profit, and so that's really the, the their first and their first and foremost uh, concern. Whereas some of these co-ops or munis are really you know interested in in their consumers, people actually paying the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the the you know they act similarly. The co-ops and unions are generally are smaller, they're more they're more rural, um, and but they um, 
their incentives are a little different because they're really focused more on the on the end consumer more so than you know than 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 actual investors. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, and then um, another thing to think about is um, you know there are also some businesses that use a ton of power, mm. uh, and so these are like large factories, data centers. Um, they're called the eligible end use customers. Google is an example. Fancy term. Oh, Google. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Google's, you know, they have lots of servers, so they use, they need a ton of electricity mm. to, to store all of our private data. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> and then you've got things like, you know, think of like metal refineries. They're using tons of energy to, to, to make steel or aluminum. Okay. Um, or there could be certain business associations, you know, who represent a lot of these you know, so sometimes a lot of these big energy, you know, high intense energy users will team together with a energy association and that, or with a business association and that business association will represent them in MISO. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, gosh, there's so many. I mean. <laughs> well, I know one of the big things for us um, in kind of our energy space is working with the Public Utilities Commission. So where would other state regulatory authorities fit into this kind of network of, of stakeholders? Yeah, that's a good good example. I mean, so the, the PUCs are definitely there, public utility commissions. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a little bit of a different voice because, you know, as a rule, let's just say MISO is going to be, is proposing to build a whole bunch of transmission lines. MISO can't propose anything that it doesn't, that it, has reason to believe that the respective state public utility commissions will not approve. Um, mm. And so because of that, the PUCs have a little bit of an extra um, role. And there's actually an organization called the Organization of MISO States. So these are commissioners okay. from each PUC from each state um, who kind of get together and they do some trainings and they coordinate a little bit. They don't agree on everything. They don't agree on a lot actually, um, but they agree on enough. And, you know, when, if, when they do agree and have a unified stance on something, it does send a strong signal to, to MISO um, okay. regarding, you know, whether or not something will fly. Um, but I think the key thing here though, to, to, which is interesting about that is, you know, they have a role, but they're not directing MISO. I mean, none of these stakeholders are directing MISO to do anything. At the end of the day, MISO is going to do what it believes is the best thing to do. And, and really through the stakeholder process, what MISO is trying to do is get as much information as possible so that it can balance all the different competing interests, um, you know, and all the different concerns, uh, all the different perspectives in order to come up with something that will work the best for the most people. And it, it's a very, very hard task. It's very unenviable. Um, mm. but they, I think MISO does a great job and, and I think their, their staff as a whole, uh, shows show incredible patience. Cause I can tell you that we as stakeholders are not always patient when we're in our stakeholder meetings. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear that, you know, all of these folks who have kind of an advisory capacity in, in the decisions that MISO makes, um, that they take what folks are saying seriously and that they really incorporate it um, and that they do try, it sounds like, as, as you're saying. Um, yeah. they, I think they, they yeah, they, they do try and more often than not, they succeed. You know, like yeah. I said, we all have our perspective. So there's some things we like sure. to see things done better, but they do a good job. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, so it seems like MISO is the end of the line, so to speak, for decisions. But in terms of, I know we talked about FERC earlier on, do they have a say in the process in, in this capacity or how, how does that work? Yeah. So maybe I just talk a little bit about the stakeholder process. You know, I talked sure. about some of the, some of the players there, there are many more, many other sectors. Um, but generally what will happen is, um, you know, MISO will either, will either raise an issue or a stakeholder will raise an issue and say, you know, this is something we need to deal with. And um, let's just say for our, our purposes, you know, the problem might be we need more, you know, the, the trying to think of how to phrase this, um, but there needs to be, you know, more transmission built to, to connect, uh, you know, power between places because maybe energy, energy demand is going up or because there's mm-hmm. constraints in the system. And so MISO will raise that issue or a stakeholder will raise that issue. And then, you know, one of MISO's committees will then take it up and, and it'll be discussed in stakeholder meetings. Like, okay, this is a problem. We want to do something about it. What should we do? And so there'll be you know, a lot of discussions. There'll be proposals put forth. MISO will generally ask, you know, what do you all think we should do? MISO will often also say, this is what we think we should do. And there'll be a lot of trading of ideas, a lot of mm-hmm. questions asked. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of um, you know, and everyone has their own perspective and interests, of course. Yeah. And, you know, if MISO wants to proceed, which I think usually it more often than not wants to, to take these issues up, Mm-hmm. They'll take all that feedback feedback into account and make a final proposal uh, for changes to its tariff. And and the tariff is what FERC looks at. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when MISO has a proposed tariff, before they just send it to FERC, they'll go back to the stakeholders one more time and say, okay, how does this look? We'll, we'll either complain or praise or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, maybe suggest a few tweaks, make it stronger. Yeah. And, and my silver rate say, thanks, great. Then they'll take that to FERC. Um, and and, and, uh, and FERC will either approve or, or not approve. Um, and so, you know, every, every major decision or every major change at MISO within its rates or within its planning or within its way it deals with reliability or markets must be approved by FERC in order to go into effect. Um, gotcha. and, and there's actually one thing I forgot to mention there is, you know, it's, there is a, MISO does have a board of directors and before anything, okay. any of these major things go to FERC, the board of directors also needs to approve it. Um, and so, you know, that's the last step prior to, to sending something to FERC for hopeful approval. Cool. Well, it makes sense. And it's, it's cool to see that, or hear from you, I should say that stakeholders are involved throughout, throughout the entire process of these um, multi-step decisions, I guess, <laughs> is maybe a way to, to characterize yeah. it. Um so yeah, now, it's a really, oops, sorry. Oh, it's, it's a really cool example of a form of participatory democracy. It's, um, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, for sure. So now um, I would love to talk about something that you wrote about in March when we published your What's Up With MISO explainer style blog on our Fresh Energy website. And for everybody listening, we've got the link included in the description of the podcast. So you can check that out whenever you have a chance. Um, Mike, I'm about to literally quote you because I want to make sure our listeners hear how you phrased this in that explainer blog. And you wrote, 
The world is always changing, and for the electric grid, the change we are facing today is as great a change as the grid has ever faced before. Embracing the speed of technological change, the need to replace aging infrastructure, and the growing appetite for carbon-free sources of electricity, MISO is embarking on an ambitious process to dramatically reshape the grid. And you didn't stop there. You also came up with a special way for us to think about that ambitious reshaping process, um, kind of a way to, to outline MISO's priorities throughout it and help us further visualize and talk about the planning that goes into it. And you called it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the five Ds. <laughs> yeah, brief. I, I had known you'd grab that. I, I would have tried to come up with a more clever name. Um, yeah, no one, no one wants a D, but you know, we'll, we'll take our D's now and we'll run with it. Yeah, um, don't don't trigger me into thinking about high school report cards or anything. Seriously, but, but the five D's. So. I think these are a great way to think about some of maybe the the pillars within these processes. So would you just quickly walk us through what those five Ds are? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll list them first. And because, okay. you, know, you know, they really are all interconnected, but you've got decarbonization. You've got digitalization, diversification, democratization, demystification, um, you know, those are all shuns, um, but I'm going to go with <laughs> one more, uh, a 6D, but I liked five, uh, development, you know, developing the grid too. Um, and, you know, decarbonization, I think is, um, well, yeah, I mean, it, that's just the way we're moving forward as a society. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, you know, the, a lot of policy going that way. There are a lot of private consumers going that way. There are large Google, you know, as I mentioned, as a, as a stakeholder, yeah. Um, capital S stakeholder that they, they, they want that to happen too, and, and MISO recognizes this, and so they're they're trying to they're trying to um, you know go ahead and plan for what what they see as inevitable a, a decarbonized grid. Um, you know, digitalization and diversification. Um, you know, really, I talk about those together because they are they are related. You know, the as our technology technological capability and information. Um, technology gets more and more advanced. You know, you look at like your, your um, like smart thermometers at home, you know, we're digitizing mm -hmm. our, or even our thermostats. And many of you, you, you may not know it or not, but your thermostat can actually talk to your utility. Um, and your utility mm -hmm. can then say to your thermostat, you know, it's going to be a hot day. It's going to be really big power on the grid. Let's go ahead and, um, you know, reduce, you know, uh, reduce, you know, make it a little warmer this afternoon so that, you know, we can deal with this constraint. So that's like a, a, dig, a digitalization aspect. Um, uh, you know, and also you have more information. You've got, um, uh, for example, there's um, <clears throat> something called dynamic line ratings. So that's basically getting information about these transmission lines, looking at, you know, what's the wind, what's the temperature, um, how you know how much electricity is going on right there at the current moment? You know this information together. You could, we actually have the technology out there to go ahead mm. and and say, okay, we can actually because of the wind and because of the temperature, this transmission line can actually transmit more electricity than we would have otherwise allowed it to. And so so that kind of creates creates a way to to expand how much um, electricity can go there. So that's you know an example of digitalization. Mm -hmm. um, Diversification, I think, is really goes hand in hand with decarbonization because, mm -hmm. you know, decarbonized electricity resources, you know, are 
just in their nature diversified. They're, you know, they're or, or just distributed is another way to, is another catchphrase you'll hear about. Um, but you can have solar on your roof. You can have big solar solar right. farms, utility scale. Um, you know, we need we need wind wind farms in you know in windy places and solar farms in sunny places. And the more diversified we are with what we have and where it is, the more we'll be able to call on one resource when the other one's not available because of weather or some other reason. Um, mm -hmm. So that diversification is really key. And then you know I I kind of alluded to this a little bit when I talked about the digitalization, but you know, demystification and democratization. You know, I mentioned the utility might be able to take your your Nest thermostat. No, this is not an endorsement. I have Ecobee. <laughs> I have an Ecobee at home, so um, <laughs> I'm not endorsing either. But your smart thermostat, and you know, the, your smart thermostat is now actually connected to the grid uh, in a way that it wasn't before, and that it can interact with the supply and demand, and your you know, your utility can go ahead and actually call on your thermostat to change how much energy it's using at that given moment uh, in order to help it meet its, you know, its load. And it depends on what utility there may be even, you know, if you, I know, for example, where I live, Excel is my utility and there is an option to, um, Excel will actually give you money if you go ahead and allow Excel to, to change your thermostat on really hot days. Um, and they do that because they actually end up making more money than the money they give you. But you save money, they save money, win-win. Um, so it's a kind of a cool thing, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, and, and to get to de democratization, demystification, I think we're going to see more and more that we're individually we're going to be more and more involved in <clears throat> in the in our electricity use and how we interact with the market. We're going to have more options to. You know, adjust how we use energy at home. You know, if you have an electric vehicle, for example, um, you know, just having an electric vehicle, you're already you're you're going to be more more interested in in, in what's going on at the grid. Um, you know, take to take myself as another example, we actually are part of a, a pilot program with Excel, and we have um, three different time of use rates. And so, at the middle of the night, we have an electric car. We have a Nissan Leaf. And you know, middle of the night from midnight to 6 a.m., uh, Excel charges us a very, very, very low rate. And so mm -hmm. we make sure that if we're gonna charge our car, we're gonna charge it in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not gonna charge it from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. when it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of like a democratization. We're, we're being more involved. We're having more, um, you know, more options in terms of how we interact. You know, and also it gets back to the stakeholder process. Like I said before, anyone can join. Um, right. joint, anyone can can play a part. It's also, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, a very interesting form of, um, and by interesting, I mean like, you know, really cool, interesting form of, uh, uh, of um, participatory democracy. And then I guess the last thing, demystification, um, you know, when I started in this space some, gosh, what was it, eight years ago or so, uh, I can't tell you how confusing all of this stuff seemed to me. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. changing so much. It's changing so rapidly. It, it continues to be a challenge, but um, I think more and more, I wouldn't be, I think we're going to understand electricity and the grid and all that kind of stuff, the way we understand gas prices today. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think we're going to be 
more sensitive to prices. We're gonna be more sensitive to when, when and how we use electricity. And because of that, I think we're gonna understand it better. We're gonna understand how it's, how it's made. Mm-hmm. We're gonna understand you know, things we can do to use it more, you know, use it more effectively. Um, and so you know, all those aspects, you know, and then with you know, being able to have solar on your roof or something like that too, yeah. playing more of a role. So, yeah. And so reason I also include development is because, you know, through these five D's, you know, our, our grid is changing. It's changing. Like it hasn't changed since the, since the dawn of the grid a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's completely redeveloping, um, into a new way. And, you know, it's using those five other D's to, to really make the grid of the future. One that is, you know, supports a hundred percent renewable energy economy. Yeah. So, I don't know how deep in the weeds we want to get into this and in the interest of time, maybe we can keep it specific to Minnesota, but mm-hmm. I'm curious with those five D's in mind, what maybe is happening with MISO's planning right now? How has fresh energy, how have stakeholders been involved? Is there kind of a, a quick yeah. <laughs> couple minutes just of the story that you can give us maybe Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be quick and efficient. I'll use one example. Um, so like, as I mentioned before, MISO is really involved in transmission planning and there was actually a, a um, something called long range transmission planning that, that MISO has been, you know, it's an, it's a initiative that MISO has been pushing for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned the whole stakeholder process where we all kind of have an idea and we try to figure out what to do. We submit something to the board and the board approves it and FERC hopefully approves it. Well, this right. just happened with long range transmission or LRTP. Um, and, um, and actually just a few days ago, I guess it was late last week, maybe Thursday, FERC approved, um, changes to the tariff to help MISO enable this long range transmission plan that it has going forward. And so, Hmm. um, you know, we've been really involved in, in designing that, that not only designing what that, that, that um, tariff change will look like, but also figuring out where the different lines, these transmission lines will go in the region. and you know what MISO will basically put forward towards you know its utilities to d- different utility members to go ahead and build, um, you know, and so that was something that you know that was I mean I don't, I don't know if that was maybe too quick, too short of a two minute thing, but um, <laughs> that is one example okay. of um, you know something we've, we've just completed here. Right. Well, I think that's I think that's a great example for our purposes. And of course, Fresh Energy is continuing to talk about all of these updates. But I really want to make sure that we have time to jump into kind of a, a new part of our podcast, which we're calling Fresh Questions, uh, because we have taken a couple questions from listeners and people who follow along with Fresh Energy's work that were submitted prior to recording. And we hope to do this more in the future for certain podcasts. So Pro tip is keep an eye out on our website, specifically our blog posts, for a chance to send us your questions and have them asked on the pod on Decarbonize. Today, we've only got a couple for you, Mike, and I am going to start with one from Jamie. Um, And Jamie's question refers to a dollar amount that you referenced in your MISO explainer blog post um, based on this fact that you highlight, which is taken together, annual benefits to MISO members average $3.4 billion each year, and that savings is passed on to consumers. 
So keep that in mind. Um, and Jamie's question is, how exactly is the $3.4 billion benefit to members calculated? Are these avoided costs, lower energy prices, non-energy benefits like resilience or some mix of those things? And then Jamie adds, thanks so much and keep up the good work. So Jamie, if you're listening, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Mike, what do you have for Jamie? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. And um, you're right on target with your question there. You know, the avoided costs, lower prices, resilience, things like that. Those are all part of the part of the um, the mix in terms of just figuring out what those benefits are. Um, and actually, you know, I mentioned the long range transmission projects that, you know, the tariff change that FERC just approved. Um, and this is for a, a set of projects that are going to cost a little over $10 billion, um, probably built over the next 10 years. And they're built across the northern half of the MISO system. And, you know, that's $10 billion is a lot of money to spend on transmission, <laughs> right? Um, but MISO projects that that these projects, this they call tranche one, is going to give us actually $22 billion of benefits. So mm. I know you mentioned, I mentioned the $3.4 billion of benefit, billion dollars of benefit um, but I felt like this, this uh, 11 or $10 billion project with $22 billion in benefits might be a little more interesting to talk about. Um, and so, you know, some of those things are like um, fuel. So if you basically it's looking at what, what they do is they look at, okay, how much would it cost? How much would everything cost us without the build, building these projects? And then how much would everything cost us if we build these projects? And so, you know, while the projects, you know, cost $10 billion or so, mm-hmm. There's immense savings by you know the the those assets that are built actually provide a tremendous amount of um, other benefits that wouldn't have been there, and so you know one that I can just mention easy for us as as clean energy advocates here is uh, decarbonization. You know there's there are all sorts of metrics for the cost of carbon, and you know MISO projects that the value of that is going to be between three and a half to seventeen point four billion dollars of benefit. Um, you know, when I mentioned the $22 billion of, of net benefits, I'm, I'm actually using the small number here. So I say it's three and a half to 17.4 billion for decarb benefits. Um, but we're, we're talking about that three and a half just to be conservative here. Um, there's also just, you know, there's an economic loss when, when power goes out, when there's, when there's mm-hmm. a, you know, a blackouts. And so MISO, MISO sees that as being between 1.2 and $11.6 billion of economic benefit. Um, you know, that's basically, those are outages that, that MISO believes will not happen because we have these extra transmission lines in place. Um, another example would be by having, you know, I mentioned earlier in this podcast today, by having these transmission built, you don't need to build as many local projects because you can then pull from other places where, where those resources, um, you know, or maybe more efficient to build them. And that's actually a really, really big savings there. MISO is, is projecting, um, is, I don't think this number is quite, oh, they're projecting $17 billion in benefit. Um, that number is correct. Sorry about that. So they're, they're projecting <laughs> about $17 billion in benefit by not having to build um, those local resources. So again, a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of um, savings there. And I guess the last big one I'll mention, and there's more than just these, is... Uh, fuel savings. So by having more renewable, more wind and solar, you don't need to spend as much money on gas or coal. And so that's a huge savings, um, which, you know, we look at the markets that we talked about earlier. So generator A, 
you know, there could be more generator A's and, and much fewer generator C's, I believe was the expensive mm. one. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, you know, a lot less fuel will be used. Um, there'll be a lot less um, money wasted on something we burn, um, which is, which is, they look at a 13.1 to $19.9 billion benefit there. Um, that also includes congestion. So I mentioned before, kind of like the analogy with uh, highways and traffic and there being, you know, too much, you know, a transmission line or a road not being able to handle all the electricity that's flowing through. Well, if you build more transmission lines, then they can handle more of it. And then therefore you have, you know, cheaper prices, not only cheaper prices in, um, you know, in places where it would have otherwise would be more expensive, but then also those, those um, you know, there'll be more incentive to, even more incentive to build the cheaper resources as well. And so all of that adds up to 36 $0.9 billion, you know, minimum mm. benefits estimated by MISO. You take out the, the price and actually we're, we're going to use a, um, it's actually a, a net present value 20 years out. So I said it was about $10 billion, but the, you know, tr that's worth 14.2 to 16.9. And so you're looking at about a $22 billion benefit just for those tranche projects. So, um, you know, yeah, I think you're, you're right on the spot there, Jamie. And it's, um, yeah. And so they're basically looking at, you know, what, what would it be, you know, what would this clearinghouse or this market, all these things be without us and what is it with us and, you know, that savings and how it's passed on, um, is part of it. And, and, and one last thing I want to mention is it does not include things like resilience because there are things that we can't actually quantify. Mm -hmm. Um, we can't quantify, uh, or we don't, we, you know, health impacts, for, for example, you know, if you don't live next to a coal factory, if that coal factory is no longer there and you don't live next to it, your, your health will be better. Um, but the resilience piece is big. Um, we're still trying to figure out, we can measure parts of it. You know, I mentioned, you know, money saved from not having a, a power outage, but there are other aspects of resilience that we can't quantify. So really, the, you know, that 22 billion or that 3.4 billion I mentioned before, um, is a low number because if you include a lot of the, the reliability benefits that are not quantifiable, the, the number would be even higher. Awesome. Well, thanks for answering Jamie's question, Mike. Now we have just one more question from Raymond. And Raymond's question references another part of that MISO explainer blog post, um, specifically the part where you discussed how coal is becoming less and less a part of electricity generation mixes as we decarbonize our electricity supply more and more. And Raymond's question is, um, the projected decline in coal for 2030 is great, uh, but Raymond says it's too slow. And then he asks, is MISO demanding the decommissioning of coal plants? Thanks, Raymond. Um, first, I agree that the projected decline <laughs> is too slow. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, MISO is not demanding uh, decommissioning. It's actually it's something they cannot do. But what they are trying to do is respond to state and federal policy and, and the demands of its customers. Um, and by customers, I mean, you know, utility customers. Um, and I, I think one way to think about it in terms of this policy neutral approach is, you know, if MISO had no ability to influence the electricity makeup for the next 20 years, what would the grid look like in 20 years? So MISO is trying to, MISO ask itself that question and they basically try to plan for what that would be. Um, and, you know, and so it's a policy neutral approach, but at the same time, they've recognized that the policy neutral approach does not mean 
no change in anything or, or no recognition of policy. It, it's, it means they're taking the policy or they're taking the demands that, that customers put in place. And so, you know, where MISO doesn't, you know, make a big role there, you know, the state here does. Minnesota is a, is a leader in the Midwest for some of its decarbonization goals. We, you know, our colleagues, Alan, Isabel, Natalie, you know, they, they do a lot of work uh, mm -hmm. at the commission and with the with the major utilities here in the state to really push them to close their coal plants early. Um, mm -hmm. And they've actually made a lot of great strides in that respect. Um, and so that's something that, that, you know, is working, but they're, they're different. Um, they are different. They're similar, but different. Yeah. And if you're curious, Raymond, you can see some of the coal plants in and serving Minnesota that are, are retiring, have been retired at coalcountdownmn.org. That is a project of fresh energy. So we will link that in the podcast description as well. Um, thanks so much, Mike, for walking us through both of those listener questions. And a special thank you to Jamie and Raymond for submitting them. And with that, everyone, this episode of Decarbonize has come to a close as we continue to see positive health impacts, reduced climate risk, and increased resiliency come from MISO folding more carbon-free sources of electricity into its transmission planning. We are looking forward to continuing the conversation with our partners and our supporters about how we can best plug in to speed the transition to a zero-carbon electric grid. Thank you again to everyone listening for wading through this very technical, complex topic with us. And thank you to Mike for lending your technical expertise. If you are hungry for more information or you want information on how to get involved, you can always visit fresh-energy.org for resources and action opportunities. And although it still seems far away, it is actually coming up very close. Uh, it's my pleasure to invite all of you to join us on Thursdays at lunchtime this July for our summer webinar series, which this year is called Energy Plus. All the information and details you need to save your virtual seat can be found by clicking the events tab in the top left corner of our website at fresh-energy.org. Hope to see you there and thanks again for tuning in.